0: Welcome to the Brain Break Room. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Taylor, and I am delighted to share with you that I currently have a cat sitting purring on my lap. So you may or may not be able to hear him. But yeah, Doc is Doc is joining us today. So today's topic is a bit goofy, but it has some connections to really serious topics like consciousness and addiction. So yeah, it's it's a little bit of a mixed Bag. So if you're feeling fun, you can take the fun things. And if you're feeling like you're into some deep thinking today, maybe focus on the bigger issues. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you how to listen. Just do you. So altering your consciousness using substances can be a really complex behavior among humans. It has social, political, cultural context and ramifications. So with this episode, I wanted to just go back to the basics and look at different examples where non-human animals alter their consciousness um, because it has less of those social, political, cultural overlaps and I think allows us just to look at this really set of interesting behaviors and mechanisms. So um, there are two big categories of consciousness alterers that I will talk about today. The first is fermented products, a.k.a. alcohol. Well, alcohol-containing products because they were fermented. And then plants and fungi with some special properties. So first in the fermented products category... I want to point out a couple of examples that differ in terms of context. So in terms of how humans are affecting other animals versus other animals evolving naturally. It doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be on a continuum, but that's how I think about it. This extreme effect where it's the set of behaviors that animals are exhibiting because of a direct effect of humans and the other one, it's this... Thing these animals did completely on their own, and it's wackadoodle. So, this first one um, is on the island of St. Kitts. There are monkeys that get their fermented fix from a human source. So, there is a ton of sugarcane on this island due to a long history with the rum industry. And there are stories of monkeys stealing sugarcane and also tourist drinks. Because the sugar cane will ferment out in the fields, and so then the um, the juice will have like up to seven percent. Sorry, that was that was Doc's collar. Up to seven percent ethanol content, and who knows how much alcohol is in the the drinks of the tourists. But in a controversial study, researchers used just about two hundred monkeys from this island. So these are wild monkeys. Um, And they brought them into the lab and they tested their affinity for alcohol as well as their behavior following alcohol consumption. So they had like a little bottle with a sugary alcohol drink and another one that was just the same amount of sugar. And they wanted to see, do all monkeys equally like alcohol or are they just here for the sugar? What's the vibe? And they found that 17% of these monkeys that are called vervet monkeys um, spontaneously drank large, large quantities of the alcohol instead of just the normal sugar juice. And they drank increasing amounts of alcohol over time, and their tolerance for alcohol also increased. And this was stable over a three-year period, these Monkeys that were drinking a lot didn't all of a sudden switch to not drinking a lot, but they showed patterns that looked like human behaviors of addiction, like withdrawal. They also sometimes drank to the point of unconsciousness, and they changed the way they interacted with other other monkeys and they had increased aggression and that sort of thing. So this was a case where researchers wanted to look at behavior in non-humans to see if they could serve as good models for human addiction in the future. So yeah, not so goofy. This is is a pretty, (laughs) the more I talk about it, the more serious this topic feels. Uh, but on the other end of the human involvement spectrum, there are Malaysian pentailed tree shrews that have evolved to survive on the fermented nectar of a palm tree. So this nectar is 3.8% ethanol, which is a very weak beer. However, these tree shrews spend two hours a night drinking. Specifically, an average of 138 minutes. So, over two hours a night drinking, which comes to the weight equivalent of a human drinking nine beers every night. However, these treachers do not get drunk. And there have been studies to see how they can consume so much alcohol and be a okay. And one study found that shrews have very, these specific type of shrews, shrews, tree shrews, or trues. No, no. One study found that tree shrews have a very high concentration of, okay chemical scientific name that I may or may not be able to pronounce. We're just going to see. Ready? One, two, three ethylglucuronide, ethylglucuronide. Ha, nailed it. So the tree shrews have a lot of this ethylglucuronide or ETG compared to humans drinking similar levels, which means they might be using a different way to break down alcohol than humans primarily use. We're going to dive into this a little bit because I think this process is interesting. So ethylglucuronide is a byproduct of the breakdown of ethanol via the glucuronic acid pathway. Which, simply put, the summary is that this is a way to break down alcohol in the liver to then be excreted in your urine. So you pee it out. Whereas humans rely primarily on oxidative methods. So, pause. There's oxidative and non-oxidative metabolism, ways of breaking things down in your body. Oxidative just means that an electron is removed from a molecule during the chemical reaction. Non-oxidative, an electron is not removed. So the tree shrew method of the glucuronic acid is non-oxidative, whereas humans rely primarily on oxidative methods for alcohol, metabolism, and breakdown. So in the liver, the main enzyme breaking down ethanol in humans is alcohol dehydrogenase. And this process creates a byproduct called acetylaldehyde, which is, and I'm quoting a study here, a highly reactive and toxic byproduct that may contribute to tissue damage and possibly the addictive process. So that does not sound good. But essentially, researchers found that these tree shoes are using different a different metabolism pathway to break down alcohol, which might be why they're able to have so, so much ethanol and be okay. Whereas humans having that much ethanol usually have really bad effects. So a second sub theme under fermented products has to do with drastically different outcomes. Okay. This is also going to be sad. There are songbirds that die every year from eating fermented berries and then flying under the influence. That's just a sad fact. And I I share it here because in contrast to this odd natural tragedy, there are bats in Central and South America that can fly successfully under the influence after eating fermented fruit. How in the world do we know that? other than the absence of bats falling from the sky? Well, researchers took bats, fed them fermented juice, aka alcohol, and then had them fly an obstacle course. So, I'm picturing here the flight version of America Ninja Warriors, except they tested 406 bats at different levels of intoxication. So, they got hundreds of bats, different levels of drunk, and then sent them on an obstacle course, and they found that they could fly and use sonar with unimpaired coordination across all levels of intoxication. Now, we do not know why they can, or how they can, and so the takeaway from this research article was just, drunk bats can fly! (laughs) And I I just really want to see how that research proposal went. I, I checked. I checked the internet, the science internet, aka Google Scholar to see if there had been any follow-up studies on like mechanism or any other conclusion beyond drunk bats can fly and that's all I got. So, unfortunately, that's where that story ends. Okay, so the second category of consciousness alterers includes plants and fungi with special properties. So there are wallabies out there eating poppy, reindeers in Eastern Europe eating hallucinogenic mushrooms, bighorn sheep in Canada that are going to legitimately wild lengths to eat narcotic lichen, some addicted sheep. Okay, this is gross. So if you get grossed out, just Shut your ears for like seven seconds. Some addicted sheep will wear their teeth down all the way to their gums trying to eat this lichen. Okay, if you're easily grossed out, you can come back now. And jaguars in the Amazon will munch on vines with hallucinogenic properties. So the wallabies and bighorn sheep are consuming opiates, which act as it sounds, on opioid receptors. And opioid receptors are found all throughout the brain and the spinal cord. And when a molecule binds to these receptors, in this case opiates, the resulting changes lead to mood shifts as well as um, different perceptions of pain. So those are the opiates. And then hallucinogens all lead to changes in thought and perception the experience of sensing things that are not there, whether it's sight or sound, etc. And there's a lot of variability among hallucinogens in terms of what receptors they bind to in the brain and how they have their effects. So I'm not going to do a rundown of all of those here but just know there are lots of different options for those hallucinogens to bind. So I am going to end this section and also the episode with an animal not getting high. So, caterpillars of a particular moth in Peru and Colombia can eat up to 50 coca leaves, which is the basis for cocaine, a day, 50 a day without adverse effects. So, other insects in this region will either get sick or die consuming this much coca, but these caterpillars are fine. Researchers don't have a clear answer on this, but they think it has to do with the dopamine transporter, and I will tell you why. So typically, cocaine binds to the dopamine transporter receptor to block the reuptake of dopamine. So that just means that cocaine usually binds to something that leads to more dopamine floating around. And this extra dopamine leads to the euphoric high associated with cocaine, as well as the ultimate changes in the reward system in your brain that make normal rewards like food or social interaction less rewarding after you use cocaine for a while, because Essentially, these receptors will stop responding to the smaller, quote unquote, normal amounts of dopamine and will only respond to huge surges of dopamine that come with the cocaine alone. And researchers think that these moth caterpillars might have differences in this dopamine transport system that allows them to tolerate higher amounts of coca. Okay, that is all for today folks it's a bit of a shorter episode because this was my first week of work as a postdoctoral researcher so um I am a little last minute getting this episode up but I think my main takeaway from looking into this topic that started with a like BuzzFeed type list of 10 animals getting high um, I think my main takeaway is that there's so much to learn about consciousness alterers from the natural world whether animals are resistant to the effects or very much susceptible scientists are learning more about the mechanisms of these substances as well as how they affect behavior in a non-human context which will be helpful in the overall study of addiction and how the brain works So with that, I will sign off and I hope to see you next time in the Brain Break Room.